and welcome to another CTS NetBeat podcast. This is a very special edition because I'm here at the Cleveland Clinic to do some uh, professional videoing of the world's best surgeons. But on the podcast today, we have so much for you. We have a systematic review on prosthetic mitral valve replacements, the role of wedge versus segmentectomy, and we announced the three winning videos of the Innovators competition. Uh, we've got uh, how to make a tricuspid valve out of atrial tissue, a beautiful thoracic duct ligation video, and also percutaneous closure. And don't go away because I've got huge news about the world's first use of the new Shirui robot. It's all happening this week, so stay tuned for the CTS NetBeat podcast. Thank you again for joining us at the CTS NetBeat podcast. My name is Joel Dunning and we have a very special edition today because I'm here at the Cleveland Clinic. What am I doing here? Well, CTS Net are going to get into doing professional videography. We want to have TV quality videos of heart surgery that's important for you. So we're starting it off here with our world's best series. Uh, we're going to take videos of the world's best operations. We're going to be featuring surgeons such as Lars Svensson, Mark Gillenoff, Faisal Bakin, uh, and uh, we hope to bring these to you in the spring of next year. We're going to go regularly to world's best uh, units around the world, uh, not just in the USA. So stay tuned for this and let me know if you think this is a great idea. I'm certainly really excited to be here. I've already seen one operation uh, and plenty more to go. So uh, on the CTS Net podcast and what you're going to find on CTS Net this week is a whole load. We'll go through a few of the articles we've got for you. The first one uh, is a systematic review of long-term outcomes of bioprosthetic uh, mitral valves. Um, this was performed by Roberto LaRusso uh, and Marianus Coloridis and, uh, from the Trent Nottingham Centre and Roberto's from Maastricht in Netherlands. Great surgeon, also helps with MMCTS. Um, they looked at all the literature for the outcomes of biased prosthetic mitrals. They found 21 studies, that's 15,000 patients. They had a look, 60% um, porcine, 36% uh, bovine. And what are the answers? Well, they found just such a big range in the papers. Um, freedom from structural valve deterioration at 10 years ranged from 60% to 100%. At 15 years, from 60% to 93%. Freedom for operation from 65% to 98%. Now, what does this tell us? Well, maybe you can go to this paper to look up specifically the valve that you're about to put in. Um, maybe talking to patients, only a 60% um, valve life at 10 years is not great, but 95% is great. So there's still very variable outcomes for bioprosthetic uh, mitral valves, although they do seem to be quite decent, quite long-lived. So really interesting paper. Check it out on Jan's uh, This Week, um, and, and you tell me what you think about it. The second paper we've selected for you on the website is a paper by Mike Cowan and Michael Gooseman. They're from the UK, uh, the Hull Cardiac Centre, and it's published this week in the European Journal of Cardiothoracic Surgery. Uh, their paper is entitled The Role of Diagnostic Wedge in the Era of Segmentectomy. Basically, the paper is reviewing CalGB and the JCOG trials and saying, we should be doing less diagnostic seg diagnostic wedges. So the days where we go in, take out an eight millimeter uh, nodule and then find that it's a tumor uh, and then having to go and do a completion lobectomy are gone. 
you know, we should be going, well, if this is a risk of being a primary tumor, we'd be doing a segmentectomy anyway. So go and do it straight away. Don't waste your time doing a wedge. Uh, they say, go and do a segment because you can't go back and do a completion segmentectomy. But as we know from these trials, survival's really impacted uh, by your lymph nodes. So if you haven't gone and got the lymph nodes, then you know, you're, you're not gonna have done the best of the patient if it turns out to be a tumor. Obviously, because of the lower morbidity these days of segmentectomy, if it turns out to be benign, the outcomes are roughly the same as a wedge resection. So I kind of liked the thoughts that they have in this paper. Uh, I wonder what you think. I certainly think that wedge resection is not dead. If you've got a five millimeter uh, very peripheral lesion, if you do a really good lymph node dissection, send them off for frozen during the operation, I don't think you need to go and complete as long as the margins a centimeter. Uh, but it's certainly kicking off an interesting new debate on whether wedge resection should be a thing of the past. So I'm going to hand you over to the CTSNet office who is going to tell you a few of the other things that you can find on the website today. CTSNet's ninth annual resident video competition is now open for submissions. Residents and medical students of all CT surgical specialties are eligible to submit surgical videos for a chance to win prominent publication on CTSNet and an exclusive interview with the judges. The deadline to submit is December 29, 2023. To learn more, head to the resident video competition page on ctsnet.org. We're profiling some very special videos this week. Uh, they are the three winners of the innovation competition. So we have third, second and third place uh, all posted on our website this week. And uh, the first place winner is I believe the head and shoulders winner. It was absolutely fantastic. It's by Ahmed Ali Amir Goffran, and his video is tricuspid replacement with the right atrial appendage valve. So Ahmed is a great guy. He has actually invented this new technique. He takes the right atrial appendage, he, he dives down, he harvests it, uh, and then he turns it into a valve. He's done that in the pulmonary position over 150 times. And this video is his new technique, putting it in the tricuspid position. So uh, it's a really great video. And what's more, I've had the chance to talk to him uh, on Zoom all about his technique, because it was such a great one. I really wanted to hear more about it. So we're just gonna jump over to an excerpt of that video so you can hear from Amir Ali Amagofran from Iran, professor from Shiraz uh, University Hospital. After that, we have done two more cases uh, with tricuspid valve uh, replacement with the RAA valve and they are fine as well. Yeah, so, so really, I mean, I'm fascinated by this technique. So the technique, for those of you who haven't seen the video yet, is instead of using a bioprosthetic valve, you're actually creating a valve out of the right atrial appendage, something that we chop off every day. Uh, we see it every day, but you're actually using it. And you've got some brilliant tips. I mean, it sounds really logical because it can grow with the patient. Uh, it's, uh, you know, really good in endocarditis. And I believe you have posted on CTSNet a previous video all about it in the pulmonary position uh, and and this is obviously one in the tricuspid but maybe you could start by how on earth did you come up with this was this something you created or had you seen somebody else do it tell us how this began as something uh, that you were doing well actually uh, we were uh, thinking about creating a valve from a native tissue actually uh, 
for this uh, position of pulmonary artery because we were facing a lot of patients with tetralogy of hollow who has been operated before and now needed PVR and frequent interventions. And we were always thinking how we can manage in such a way that uh, they don't need uh, further interventions and we can prevent uh, pulmonary insufficiency in uh, some way. So uh, I was thinking about the right atrial appendage or atrial tissue, right atrial tissue uh, for a while, a uh, few years uh, back in uh, 90s and early 20s. And uh, we used the, the atrial tissue in different positions, for example, for repairing the pulmonary artery. And then we, when we operated on those patients in the second stage for uh, repair of, uh, for example, pulmonary atresia, we could see that their right atrial appendage tissue is uh, looks viable and looks uh, very nice without calcification or degeneration or anything. So I thought maybe this is the material. And uh, then uh, we try to design uh, the architecture so that the uh, uh, bilayer characteristics of this uh, appendage, yeah, we thought it may give us the opportunity to make a bicuspid valve. And uh, so we try to design it and uh, we used it uh, for the first time, uh, I think in 2013. Uh, nearly 10 years ago and then we followed the patient and after five years we did the angiogram for that patient uh, and we saw that the valve is uh, astonishingly working well and uh, so we developed the technique the, the details and they uh, tried to standard, standardize it and uh, to introduce it to the others so in such a way that uh, it can be reproducible and uh, uh, so presentations uh, were uh, performed and uh, for ourselves, we tried to do it as routine. Uh, and so we have a large number and uh, uh, fortunately the results are very good now. So I think you'll agree that was a very deserved winner uh, and uh, and do check out CTSnet for the full interview for Ali uh, Amir Goffran and myself because he is a fascinating guy. I'm sure we'll hear much more in the future. Um, the next really good video that came second was by Carolina Aden uh, and was from São Paulo Center in Brazil, and it was a banger. It was a beauty. It was a thoracic one. It was video assisted thoracoscopic thoracic duct ligation with indocyanine green fluorescence imaging. So what do they do? So if you've got a thoracic duct injury or you need to clip it off and they present two very different videos, uh, two very different patients. Uh, one's a person with, uh, with uh, had had a total thyroidectomy from papillary thyroid cancer and a radical neck dissection that was now uh, leaking chyle. So they needed to clip it off in the chest, but it was a virgin chest. And what they do is they inject indocyanin green into the femoral lymph nodes. And then that gets picked up by the thoracic duct. They give some olive oil down an NG tube 
And what a beautiful lit up image they showed. It looked the easiest thing in the world to find that thoracic duct. But then in the second case, it was a post-operative case. That, that chest had been, they'd been into it beforehand. There was a 65-year-old that had a bilobectomy for squamous cell cancer, a big lymphadenectomy, and unfortunately they got in early. So they went into a chest that was full of adhesions. But again, they injected the lymph nodes. It lit up incredibly. And they found the thoracic duct absolutely barn door beautifully. And what's more, once they clipped it, they could see the indocyanin in green banking up behind their clips and empty from the distal thoracic duct. So what a wonderful video. Certainly recommend you check that out uh, on the website today. And finally, our third video uh, is percutaneous closure of uh, peripheral ECMO cannulation sites. Uh, this is by Tom Liu, Paul Devlin, Chris Mehta, and Benjamin Briner from the Northwestern uh, Medical Center in the USA. Uh, and they use the Abbott Perclose. Uh, so in decannulation, they report that, you know, this can be a two hour operation, but this is actually sped up by using Perclose suture devices uh, for closure. Uh, you basically put a wire down your femoral artery uh, through uh, the one of the femoral cannulae. Um, you then uh, then you place uh, one of these perclosed devices. Uh, there's a little step, a little foot that that comes forwards. There's a little exhaust pipe that sort of squirts blood out, meaning you're in the lumen. You then pull the foot backwards. That means you're touching uh, the vessel. And then you, you pull lever number two, and that deploys the suture. And then lever number three, out comes the device. And you've got a suture uh, around your, your uh, cannulation site. Uh, they do it sometimes two times. They can even do it three times. So they've got a load of sutures. Uh, and then out comes that femoral artery uh, cannula. And also they do it for the vein as well. Well, they don't actually need to use the Perclose device for the vein. They just uh, press uh, and tie and press for a bit. But it actually, they showed that it sped up decannulation. They had less complications and a really, really nice video of a great piece of innovative technology. So I love that. It was really good. And, and what great engineering uh, has gone into that Perclose device. Well done, that team. So those are the videos we have, the three innovation video winners. We're going to run the innovation competition again next year. So if you have an innovative video, please do send it on or bank it up for next year. There's a few upcoming events. Uh, 10th to the 12th, there's uh, a meeting in University of Graz in Switzerland, all about cardiovascular pathology, cardiac surgeons, state-of-the-art lectures. Check out the website if you want to have a look at that. Um, there's a really good meeting at the Freeman Hospital in Newcastle on cardiopulmonary transplantation. It's an in-person course on cadavers, and they will actually in-person teach you how to do ECMO cannulation, how to do VADS practice. Um, it's run by Steve Clark, uh, who's the course director. You'll actually be doing it on cadavers. Uh, it's 845 euros for EX members uh, and, uh, and is coming up soon. So if you want a place, give them a ring. Uh, and the third one with profiling is an online virtual course. So this is only $30 uh, and uh, this is being held by, this is being run by, uh, by the EACTS uh, and go on their website, but it's the state of the art of the surgical management of empyemas. Elizabeth Belcher from Oxford and Richard Milton are running it um, and, uh, and should be really, really fun. Uh, it's going to be about an hour or two and online Wednesday, December the 13th. So I think the biggest news today, uh, or this week, is that uh, Diego Gonzalez Rivas has just performed the world's first uh, anatomical lung resection with Shirui. Uh, 
So Shirui is this brand new Chinese robot, but it's a uniportal robot. It can be uniportal, it can be multiportal, but it is incredible. It has incredible features like it's far more mobile. It can get the arms to 90 degrees. It can be separated to multiportal or uniportal. It's also got 3D screens that you don't need glasses for. So there's a huge amount of innovation in this and they have just done the first uh, right upper lobe S2S3 segmentectomy and this was in Guangzhou uh, in China. So I think we're going to be seeing a huge amount more from Diego with this incredible uh, uniportal device. He used his normal uniportal incision. He could get a stapler down by the side of Shuri without uh, undocking it. Um, I think this is looking like the new future of uniportal robotics in thoracic surgery. Well done, Diego, and well done, Guangzhou Hospital. And finally, uh, our honourable mention uh, has to go to our editorial manager for the last two years. Uh, this was Mary Hammond. Uh, she's left us this week to go to Pastures New. So I'd just like to personally thank, you, thank her very much for everything she's been doing. She's actually in the background been working on a brand new website design for us. This is going to come in the next four weeks and she's done a huge amount of effort for this. Uh, thank you so much from all of us uh, for all the work you've done, uh, Mary Hammond. And that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this very special podcast image, uh, podcast from uh, the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I will be back in the UK next week, and then hopefully we will be posting a few of our world's best videos in the spring of next year.